Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society podcast, hosted by Marco Ciappelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act, juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Hello, this is Marco Ciappelli on Redefining Society podcast. And uh, I got to say, I'm struggling in redefining society right now. It's changing too fast. Every time I start redefining and I'm like, okay, I'm getting somewhere. And then uh, all of a sudden it's like, whoops, let's get the razor and uh, <laughs> and make a change on that line. So uh, luckily I get to talk on Redefining Society with a lot of, uh, of people that inspire me, a lot of people that even in this case, they also have a podcast on ITSP magazine, The Cyber Cognition, and uh, that's what they think about. They think about what's going on in our society and in particular, yeah, generative AI seems like it's really changing a lot of fields and some people are scared of it, some people are excited about it maybe the truth is in the middle i don't know i usually go there but uh, i wanted to catch up with uh, with justin hutch hutchins which is here in the show if you're watching the video it's right there if you're listening i'm not lying he's right here justin welcome to the show thanks marco appreciate you having me on yeah i'm glad that you you jumped on as soon as i asked you because uh we don't really need to prepare for this, there is no Q&A. Well, there's never a Q&A on my show anyway. But in this case, I just want to pick your brain and, and see what you think. Is that we made a joke before we started recording that if we have having this conversation two months ago, even two weeks ago, it would have been completely different. The river is moving fast. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy how fast <laughs> things are moving in AI. Okay, so let's start with a little bit about yourself, just a quick bio in case uh, people haven't heard your show and uh, who you are and why am I actually excited to talk to you about AI? What? Yeah, awesome. Uh, so name's Justin Hutchins. I usually go by Hutch. I uh, have 
had a, a longtime interest in artificial intelligence and specifically the intersection between artificial intelligence and risk uh, to include cybersecurity. Uh, I am the author of the soon to be released book, The Language of Deception, Weaponizing Next Generation AI, uh, which looks at multiple different facets of different ways that adversarial threat actors could misuse emerging artificial intelligence. Uh, and then also the host of the ITSP magazine podcast, Cybercognition, which uh, also kind of looks at artificial intelligence, uh, mostly from a risk perspective, but uh, in general, kind of looking at kind of the ways in which AI is increasingly becoming entangled in these ideas of uh, philosophy and the ways that we uh, even understand culture in the world around us. And everything has come together. I think we talked about this already when we were announcing your show and we had a conversation. We, we met because you were having a talk at one of the big conference about this. And, you know, we talk about cybersecurity and you talk about philosophy, ethics, things happen and the, the world of education, world of jobs, uh, anything. I mean, healthcare and there is the people that are going against it and don't want it and the people that really go blinded into it. So it, it, it touches on pretty much, I don't want to say everything, but a good portion of our life. So uh, how do you track all of that? <laughs> you know? uh, so, so it is tough. I can't, so even working in the field and, and having a, a so I, I work for a, a company called Trace3 and I lead uh, research and development. So uh, of course, like any R&D professional right now, a big part of my focus is AI. And even with that being kind of my nine to five job, it, it's tough keeping up with everything that's going on. So I can't imagine for kind of somebody that has a casual interest trying to keep up with just the, in a given week, how many things are changing in this industry. Um, personally, I, I, I'm consistently looking at kind of new white papers. Uh, there is a, a, another podcast called Last Week in AI that I think uh, Actually, my, my last guest on Cybercognition, Jeremy Harris, is one of the co-hosts of that podcast. And they do really well to actually hit kind of the, uh, just a, a little bit of depth, but just a ton of breadth as far as everything that happens week to week. Uh, and, and he was telling me on the podcast how they spend over five hours for every single episode just preparing because of how much uh, is coming in. So it's it's a challenge. I mean, there's you, you really have to make a deliberate effort to even try to keep up with everything going on. Oh my God. Uh, just the name last week. I mean, <laughs> last week and years ago, we would have said like uh, last month, maybe just already a stretch. Right. <laughs> what is, what's funny is this, this is a long time running podcast that far precedes chat GPT. Oh, wow. And he, cool. he was telling me kind of how it's transformed from like uh, a small amount of time for preparation to now just in recent months, just the insane amount of time they have to put into it. So yeah, it's, it's it's definitely apparent how much how fast the acceleration of change is is picking up so a lot of people think that it too fast is uh, is the problem and i'm i'm probably one of that if i start putting my head of sociology you know um and and maybe from a philosophical perspective no but from a societal perspective yes i mean Regulation, we know they're always behind in technology. So I'm, I have a feeling that's that's the real hurdle right there. We, we can't regulate. It's too fast. 
Yeah, I, I think that is one of the significant challenges is that uh, regulation is always going to lag behind innovation. Uh, I, I think for any industry, that is true to some degree, I think probably more so in artificial intelligence. But I, for a lot of industries where that is the case, you see uh, regulation, and instead of trying to regulate the specific details, generally, you will set up some kind of agency that is put in charge of uh, managing oversight of, of a particular area. And I, I think if, and hopefully we do get to a point where there is some kind of regulation around this, but if we get to a point where something is successful, I think it's going to have to be some kind of model like that. There's no way that they can uh, legislate down to the specific details because by the time anything gets passed, all of the the technical details are going to be irrelevant because of how fast this is moving. Um, but I, but I, I do think that this is the, the topic of regulation is an increasingly important one because I, I think we are, to your point, we're, we're almost moving too fast to the point where, uh, yes, we're, we're enabling business in ways that we've never seen before. But I, but I think there's really risk in, in two different areas. One is that, that implementation risk of if you're an organization and you are just trying to keep up with everybody else that's mainlining these new technologies into their operational workflows, um, you're likely to do the same without the appropriate safeguards. And uh, that could introduce tremendous risk to your organization. But there's also the adversarial risk, which is kind of the, the topic of the book that I worked on and, and, and going to be putting out in the near future is the fact that as we introduce these new capabilities, threat actors are as fast, if not faster, picking up these same capabilities and, and using them for nefarious purposes. And, and what's crazy is we're already at a point where we look at something like GPT-4, which is already so extremely powerful. And uh, a lot of people have, there's even been white papers that have kind of adapted some of the leading IQ tests to evaluate its levels of logical reasoning. And we're seeing it already perform in the top 99 percentile of uh, humans. And now Google is already talking about uh, their Gemini model, which is likely going to come out at some point this year that is supposedly five times the computational power of what we saw with GPT-4. And we're talking about oh, in, wow. in, in a matter five of- Five times? Sorry, did I get that? Five times? Five, five times <sighs> the computational power of GPT-4. So um, yeah, it's, and it, and it, it's, it's hard to even fathom at that point because we- so with, with these large language models, we have this idea of emergent properties where as they continue to scale, as we continue to make them larger and larger, make bigger neural networks that are supporting them and, and more layers uh, and ultimately more parameters, which is kind of how we measure the, the computational power of LLMs these days, uh, they start becoming able to do things that they previously weren't able to. With some of the large, the small initial large language models, we saw just a, a basic ability to maybe answer questions and do some autocomplete. But as we've continued to scale these up, we've seen them just naturally develop these new capabilities from logical reasoning, from being able to do code completion, from being able to translate from one language to another, uh, things that they were never deliberately trained for. And so there's this immediate question of, we already have these profound capabilities with something like GPT-4, we do that 5x, what new capabilities are going to be unlocked that we can't even foresee that are suddenly going to be available to everyone in the general public? And, and so I, I think there is a, a tremendous amount of risk uh, that we need to start considering as essentially these tech firms just compete against each other to make bigger and bigger models. Yeah. So I think I have two points. I'm going to start with 
um, the reason why we, we do it like this. So regulation, not going to catch up anytime soon. We could self-regulate. Eh, not going to happen. <laughs> so, But why it's not going to happen is because from a business perspective, when you have a market, and I'm going to give you an example. Of the, you know, it's, it's something I experienced myself where you may want to hold on from an ethic perspective, test it, be sure, definitely cybersecurity, but even ethically speaking. But then there is a first player, it comes in. So, you know, uh, the script, for example, to edit podcast as a language instead of a timeline, right? So looking at the at the wave, sound wave, you, you actually remove a word and that's gone. You don't need to cut it. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then within a month, Adobe now has that neural engine in Photoshop, in Premiere, and all the tools that you use. And then you go, there's Canvas that you can do the same thing, uh, Midjourney, Dali 3. And then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, just put your input in Photoshop. It's going to generate whatever you want. So the point is, if you don't jump on the train, the train is gone. And somebody... But well, and I think you're absolutely right. It's it's almost disadvantageous for American businesses for us to implement regulation. And then I, I think it also begs the question of if it would even be effective, because with multinational companies, you always have the issue of what is commonly referred to as regulatory arbitrage. Basically, if there are very stiff regulations in the country where I'm wanting to do business, but I want to continue to do business. I just move my operations elsewhere where I can get away with it. Yep. And so I, yep. I, we, we see that commonly in financial where people move to the Caymans in order to do their, their shady financial business. And, and essentially we could likely expect that we would see the same thing with artificial intelligence. If we implement strict regulations, people will move where they can continue to do operations. Yeah. So do you think there is, cause that's a big question for me and, and I agree with you. It, I don't know, any industry, like, okay, if I can't do it here, I'm going to do it somewhere else. But then people, the government is going to say, well, no, you can stay here because we want your money. <laughs> you want you to pay taxes and hire people so it become an economic decision. But as a humans, um, can we think about it a little bit? Or we're just uh, doomed <laughs> to, to just follow... Uh, this. It's it's a tough question. I, I so I don't think that, that obviously there are significant challenges with effectively regulating, and I, I think those have to be taken into consideration with any potential regulation that we try to put forward. But I think what it really gets to is the importance of global partnerships, and, and even that has significant challenges related to it. Getting everybody on the same page, especially when you have uh, general adversarial views of one another, as pertains to other things but um so so i mean it's it's a really challenging problem to solve and, and unfortunately i think there's there's no shortage of problems and potential risk here but the, the solutions uh while there are some out there they tend to be kind of almost leaning towards idealistic and in some ways, almost unrealistic because of the challenges that you have to overcome in order to even implement that. Now, I'm, I'm by no means suggesting that we shouldn't try, 
but I, I do think that there are significant challenges ahead in, in regard to trying to put the guardrails on yep. this. And, and I, I it, what I talk to people about frequently is I think that it's fascinating because in if you look at any of the historical, you go back 10, 20 years, you look at any of the science fiction, if you look at any of the writing from any of the main futurists, there was always this perspective that advanced artificial intelligence was going to kind of break out of its guardrails, break out of its sandbox and take over the world. And what's fascinating is that we, in truth, there never was any guardrails. There never was a sandbox. The moment we had anything that was even remotely comparable to human intelligence, we immediately were like, put it out on the internet, start connecting it with everything, give it agency and autonomy to actually take actions without human intervention. Um, so it's, it, it's fascinating to see that kind of the, this idea that it would overtake those controls never really was even an obstacle for AI in the first place. Mm. Well, once you connect it, I remember I was reading a couple of years ago, three years ago, uh, Max Tegmark book, uh, Life 3.0. And there is like all these scenarios, similar to like Nick Borstrom. And funny story is that it, the, the problem always happens when when you take the, the hardware and you connect it to access to the internet. Some scenarios like, let, okay, well, let's put it in between four walls. There is no cable, one thing and another. But then the, some scenario, it manipulates people into help to escape. <laughs> and you're like, well, we're not that stupid. Well, the truth is we don't need it. We already put it on the internet. So <laughs> I don't even need to worry about that. Uh, so my other point that I wanted to ask you is, so five, five times the power and we don't know exactly what to expect. It's going to learn things on its own. So are we? is this the, the real concrete step toward general artificial intelligence? So it, it, it's an excellent question. I, I think uh, it, it really depends on how you define artificial general intelligence. If you define artificial general intelligence as something that is able to generalize to such an extent that it's able to use the information available to do new and unique things, kind of uh, tackle those zero-shot problems, mm. then in a lot of ways, we're already seeing at least the early signs of general intelligence with GPT-4. I mean, you can uh, take something like that, give it uh, the specifications for an API that was not in its training data, something that's been published since it was even trained, and tell it kind of what you want it to accomplish with that API and then basically just create a very simple relay or interface to take its commands, execute them within the API and then return the output. And we're already seeing systems that are capable of taking action in that general form that is completely outside of its, its original training set. Uh, but of course, most of those actions right now are still, uh, very much di in the digital world. That is to say, they can act, interact with APIs, they can interact with systems, but uh, they can't necessarily interact with the physical world. And I think a lot of people, when they think of AGI, they think of kind of what we saw in the old science fiction movies with robots that are roaming around and without any training, they can figure out kind of simple things like go make me some coffee or, or go brush up the stuff on the floor or something like that. Um, obviously, we already have robots that can do that, but they're, they're in most cases, they're deliberately trained for those particular tasks. They're not generalizing. They can't kind of 
uh, adapt to the world as needed. Uh, what's interesting is that the transformer architecture, which was the basic architecture that is used for most of the generative AI systems that we're seeing these days, uh, everything from DALI to ChatGPT to um, some of the, the different audio models and stuff like that. Um, th there's actually been a, a white paper that was recently done by Google. And I say recently, I, at this point, it's, it's not that recent because it was, I think, over a year ago. But it looked at how the transformer architecture could actually be used in the same way so kind of with each of our different medias that we've used transformers for, you basically take the input data and you tokenize it into small pieces of data. So for language models, you take, you basically break down the, the language into individual words. Those words each have some kind of numerical token. And that's actually what the, the system is computing on is those tokens. Uh, same thing with image generation. You basically break down a particular image into uh, squares of pixels. Uh, in most cases, you've got something like 16 by 16 patches of pixels. And each of those are individual tokens that are handled. And what this paper did was it looked at how we could actually tokenize kinetic actions for robotics in the same way using that transformer architecture. And, and the way that they did that was they basically had uh, a bunch of employees that uh, remotely controlled different mm -hmm. robotic systems that had a, a video camera looking at those interactions mm -hmm. and they would append to those different video interactions, the uh, language text describing the actions and then would also tokenize the, the specific uh, changes to kind of the, the rotation, the adjustment of the different mechanical components of the robot. And, and what they found was that by doing this, the systems were able to generalize in a way that was very similar to what we see in terms of generalization with language or generalization with images to where robotic systems could be put in completely different contexts to where they, they've never seen that. They could have all kinds of distractions around them, be asked to do things that they had never been asked in their training and could actually generalize very effectively, far beyond any benchmarks that we've seen before to complete these tasks. So what's interesting is while these initial innovations existed in language models, it seems that the exact same technology is likely going to be the foundation for physical robotics in the near future and kind of that next step of general intelligence beyond just digital tool usage of potentially having robots in the physical world moving around us that are capable of interacting with the world. Well, so well, I'm thinking this and I'm thinking, okay, I hope we're not going to crazy for maybe people that are not expert in this, but I think you explain it in a way that makes a lot of sense in terms of, if you got the data, which I can translate in human as knowledge, then you can use that knowledge slash experience to adapt. And that's what we do as human, right? So that the, the learning thing is like, hmm, have I been in this situation before? Not quite exactly the same, but seems similar to me. Uh, maybe I can, uh, you know, this is, doesn't look like that wall and that window, but it's still it probably seems to be a different kind of wall and window. Maybe I can go through it. So if we assume that we're really getting to a human way of thinking here, uh, nobody's Absolutely. born with the knowledge, right? I mean, it's, again, AI is human more than we think. <laughs> yep. And, and, and what's fascinating is, is while it does, 
it, it does seem that way on the outside and all external indicators would indicate that if you look at really the way these systems work um the language models really are autocomplete engines the 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 image generation is really just autocomplete based on the the context that it has available. Um, essentially, the robotic stuff is exactly the same. So while it is fascinating to see that just kind of computational actions based on probability become from the outside looking in uh, all of the things that you would expect from an intelligent entity and so, it, it, I mean, it really does kind of raise some questions of kind of what is consciousness in the first place? What is what is free will? What is and, and, and I think that's that's where we're starting to see, again, that entanglement of emerging technology with the, the questions of physics and philosophy and kind of those those underlying fundamental sciences that in the past were, were kind of two very separate things that that rarely intersected. Mm hmm. And that's where we get very philosophical because it's, it's about what makes us human, and that's the, that's yeah. a big question. So I want to I want to touch to this with a little bit of a quick reflection before we end on what is actually ch happening in our society with this. So we've seen um, writer go on strike, we've seen actor go on strike, we've seen we see a lot of fear in a lot of other jobs. I was listening to an economist from Harvard that he was like, you know, we've gone through this before. We've gone through this with the Industrial Revolution. We've gone through this today with the computer, the digital revolution. And uh, sometimes it's going to level in the middle. Sometimes it's going to level towards the top. But we will be able as human to, to find new jobs, as we have always done. But in the meantime, I think what, what I, what I want to go with you in the short term, uh, I feel like there is already more benefit than negative uh, consequences. Um, finding cures, medicine, pharmaceutical, scanning, and I'm saying the health department, but I can go in, in a lot of different places. I mean, there are applications for... Um, Resolving the, the the climate change, which we're running out of time, and maybe we just bought ourselves time. So, it, a view on that that I would love. Uh, I, I I think you're absolutely right. This is I it, it, in its very nature, this is a disruptive technology. So it's not inherently bad. It's not inherently good. And, and I think both of those things come together. There are it's disruptive in the way that it is able to power new capabilities that is able to introduce new ways of thinking and new ways of approaching problems that is unlike anything we've seen before. And we're, we're going to see tremendous new developments come out of this. And, and I think you're right. A lot of that is going to be net positive for humanity and society as a whole. Uh, but of course, with any disruptive technology, you've also got kind of that, that double-edged sword of, of with that innovation also comes new risks and just at the rate that we're moving those those risks themselves are um hard to tackle while we're reaping the benefits but i i do think i i think it's interesting the the disruption in jobs topic because uh, i recently saw a twitter post that kind of stuck with me which was uh humans doing hard jobs on minimum wage while the robots write poetry and paint is not the future <laughs> that i wanted 
And, and I think it does it does highlight a, a very interesting turn. You, you compared this to the Industrial Revolution. And I think in a lot of ways, this is very similar to the Industrial Revolution. But what is different is we're used to automation and technology displacing unskilled labor, uh, yeah. kind of your, your blue collar factory work that we've seen that for decades. And what's uniquely new about this technology is that it does stand to potentially disrupt the areas that previously were untouchable by technology, which is your creative areas or your highly skilled areas like coding and um, or medical diagnostics or review of legal precedent. Uh, so I, I think to your point there, there's right now there is, I think we're in a situation where people that decide to, take the effort to to make the effort to learn these technologies are going to benefit tremendously, but people mm -hmm. that don't are going to get left behind. And, and I think the, the biggest change that we're seeing is we're increasingly moving away from a culture where education is foundational, where you get your education early on in life, right after you get out of high school, and then you're, you're set for the rest of your life. And we're moving towards a world where in order to keep up, you are going to have to engage in lifelong learning and continuing to improve and adapt your skills. Otherwise, you are going to get left behind. So I, I think for people that have that, that motivation, that drive, and enjoy continuing to learn, uh, this is a net positive. I do think that there's others that are, are less interested in that and more interested in just kind of enjoying life and sitting back and relaxing uh, that this is going to potentially be problematic for Mm. I, I agree with you 100% because the way I see it also, I, you, you said it's similar to the industrial revolution, but I see it even more similar to the digital, the computer revolution. I mean, there have been people, and that's why there is a gap, I think, in, in generational gap at a certain point, maybe in the 80s, 70s, when people didn't jump on that train is the fact that like, yeah, I don't, I don't need a computer. I'm going to run my business like I've always done or individually i mean they were just not excited maybe like uh, me or you or others that say hey it's new technology i'm gonna i'm gonna try it at least i know right and then slowly maybe at that time that if you didn't use the computer in your business even the, the daily business um the store the shop whatever it, it you you paid the consequences but it took time now it's going to take no time. We go back to what's new this week in AI. And if you haven't at least given a try, don't say I'm not going to ever touch chat GPT because it may, like you said, it may be your, maybe your problem. So, yeah. Last question. You want it? Where's the plug? Can, uh, can we unplug it if it goes, if it goes, uh, <laughs> really weird <laughs> so what's what's interesting is shortly after the release of chat GBT, there was a joke job post that was circulating or circulating around that was basically kill switch engineer mm -hmm. and it was it was over the top kind of like it is your job to stop the oh the robot apocalypse and create the solution to to call it quits um but but i think there actually is a a valid discussion to be had there of kind of any time we're implementing these. What is the the backout plan if things do go terribly wrong? So um, I, I don't want people to kind of 
disregard the potential for AI altogether out of fear that this is going to be the end of the world. But at the same time, I think that there is there does need to be some kind of consideration around whether it's an actual physical kill switch or pulling the plug from the wall uh, all the way up to ju just understanding the, the best ways to. Uh, because unfortunately, I mean, the truth is, and, and we know this from anybody that works in cybersecurity, uh, once you talk about digital capabilities, there are already stuff like wormable malware that you it moves from one system to another, pulling the plug for where it originally started is is not necessarily going to uh, to disrupt the the capability in this increasingly interconnected world. So um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating discussion. I, I think that honestly, as as much of a joke as that post was, I, I think that um, I think there's some validity to that. And interestingly enough, OpenAI actually has since kind of introduced some new uh, capabilities around uh, art of or. Uh, super alignment and talking about how they're going to align super intelligence as it becomes more mm. capable than, than any living humans. So um, maybe that is, that one, maybe there is that one thing where we all hopefully as the humanity are going to agree on, on something, maybe not about the way we use it, but about the way, what if it's going to go crazy on us, how are we all going to stop it? And, you know, there's always Dr. Evil, but I think for the majority, we kind of want to have a plan, I think. It's like, yep. it's the same thing, like, you know, if the asteroid is coming, uh, there's no countries anymore. We're going to have to come together and have that plan, which yep. I don't know. Uh, I don't know which one come, will come first, but uh, I'm, I'm, and, I'm more and, afraid and, and, than and, the asteroid than the AI right now, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe this is this is the thing that pulls us together and, and creates right? global unity around solving a problem. I mean, fortunately, it didn't work with climate change, though. There have, admittedly, there have been some some global efforts there, mm -hmm. but I, I think also there's there's enough uh, politicalization, polit yeah, around that. that politicization, yeah. Well. Hutch, this was, uh, I don't know how people are feeling about it. I, I have fun talking about these things. Um, oh, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I hope people are not getting too scared. I mean, of course, we go to the extreme um, scenarios and and maybe we come to something that everybody can understand. But if, uh, if you guys enjoyed this conversation, you're definitely going to enjoy uh, subscribing to my channel and definitely to Justin's channel as well, because he, he has some very quick um stories well not the last one because you had a guest actually so that went much longer but uh when you do your own uh one voice uh, podcast it's uh it really you make people think so thank you for taking the, the time and uh, come back maybe not every week because uh, that's <laughs> too much to follow but uh you know once a month every time you want to share something with me i'd love to have this conversation awesome thanks marco i really appreciate you having me on all right, everybody, uh, take care, stay tuned for the next episode, subscribe, and uh, we'll see you soon. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence 
with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Society podcast, hosted by Marco Cipelli. If you learned something new, and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.